Welcome to the Overflow Podcast. We pray you are encouraged by this message. For more info, notes, or other messages, download the Overflow Church app or visit our website at overflowdfw.com. May the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep. How many know if he is the shepherd, then he's got to be leading you, right? And not, just, not just in times of, well, I just need comfort, so I'm going to, no, no, we need, we need, we need him all the time to be leading us. Come on, through the, through the valleys and through the mountains, we need Jesus's leadership. May he equip you with everything good for doing what? To make you happy? To, to do, do whatever, you know, you feel like you were born, no, 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 to accomplish his will, Everything good for doing his will that he may work in us what is pleasing to him, to him. It's not about your plan for your life. It's about your life for his plan, right? We talked about that in week one. Through Jesus Christ to him, to, for him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. And let me just suggest this to you today. Let me, let me, let me, let me give you this. This is for free. You know, Christianity, <laughs> all of it's free. Christianity is not just a discipline to be kept. And if you think of Christianity as just a discipline to be kept, you will be steeped in religion and legalism. It is not just a discipline to be kept. There is a discipline to it. Christianity is a life to be enjoyed. Christianity is a life to be enjoyed. And so I found enjoyment out of out of subjecting myself to the Lord's leadership. It doesn't mean it's always easy, but it's always the best thing. Ephesians 2.10, for we are God's workmanship. That word in the Greek, again, poetic masterpiece. Pastor Leslie was talking about moving those shapes around, making that beautiful imagery. That's what the Lord is doing. He, he already had the painting. And when you came in, you were part of that painting. And he is, he is adjusting that. He's making you, Romans tells us that, that he is, he's making everything in our life work. Not for you, but for him to make you into the image of his son, Jesus. God is working in your life to make you look more like, like Jesus. Listen, if you look more like Jesus tomorrow than you do today, you are successful. That's good. That's good. You are successful and you are fulfilling the will of God. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. You're not saved by your good works. You're saved for good works. That's what you're saved for, for which God prepared in advance for us to do. So on week one, we talked a lot about that, that it's not about God's plan for my life, but about my life for God's plan. And, you know, we, it's a great prayer to pray that, Lord, whatever you want in my life. Yes, pray that. But whatever God wants in your life is for you to be completely yielded to Jesus. And then week two, we talked about when, when, when we started this journey that the Lord gave us a map right? He gave us a map. He gave us the scriptures. He, he showed us what morality looks like. He showed us, he showed us how to live. And we talked in week three about the call and how all of us have a call. God has a calling on your life and you need to know what that is. And then week four, we talked about, last week, we talked about that we have a guide. We have the Holy Spirit. We're not alone on this journey. 
You have the Holy Spirit inside of you, and he is coming, and he's pointing. He's saying, this is the way you need to go. I want to lead you here. I want to take you here, right? And one of the ways he does that is by giving us the compass of community. He gives us people to kind of help know what true north is. Are you okay today? So we're finishing up today. So if you were going to go on a, a backpacking trip, or you were going to go live in the wilderness, okay, and you, you had to spend you know, 80 years in, the, in, a, in, a, in a wilderness. Now, when I say the wilderness, you automatically think desert. We're not talking about desert. We're talking about a wild, enjoyable place. Come on, the, where it's wild. If you were going through that wilderness, you might have all of these tools that we've been talking about. You might have a map and a compass and a guide and all these kind of things. But another thing that will happen is, is if you've ever been anywhere or done anything or been in a place more than once, is eventually you learn what we'll call landmarks, right? I remember the first time I ever drove to this location. I was with a guy that was attending the church at the time. He said, I don't know what property that's for rent. We were looking for a building. And I had never really drove down this part of Jefferson. Some of y'all are like, yeah, me neither. Today's the first time it's kind of sketch. And so I remember it felt really far. And I remember driving into the parking lot. I'd be like, oh, I've never seen this before. And, and I remember after that, I would use my map app to get here, right? I, I had to know how to get here. But now I don't need all those things. Now I'll just jump in the car and come. I don't, I don't even know all the street names that I, that I drive down. But I know that there's landmarks. I know that when I see this, it's time to turn. Right? And what is that? That's just a landmark. And I've learned that throughout the journey that there are certain things in my journey that are cues to tell me I need to turn here. This is about to happen. If you're on that journey and you said, oh, my canteen's out of water, you know where the filling station is. You know that that tree was back there 10 miles back. And if you went back to that tree, right around that tree, there was a reservoir that you could get water from. And this is the way the Lord works in our life as we go through this journey, as we develop history with God. What happens is he puts markers or landmarks in our life so we can look back and we go, okay, I know I'm in the right spot. I know how to get to where I need to be because of my history with the Lord. They're called landmarks. Think about cities. Cities have landmarks. Right? Some, some cities, right? We, we have a few. I think we have a few prepared today. What city is this? St. Louis. You might have not, never even been to St. Louis, but you know. Some of you are like, I don't know that city. <laughs> right? I, I don't know. What, what city is this? It's the Golden Gate Bridge, right? In, in El Paso, they have a star on a mountain. That's like their landmark. Yeah. And uh, kind of. What, what city is that? Seattle, right? It doesn't say Seattle on there. You might not even know how to get to Seattle, but you know that's where Seattle is, where that thing is. The Space Needle, I think is what it's called. What is that? What city is that? America. Yeah, yeah, New York. Right? We want one more. We say the best for last. <laughs> and what do you say? What do you, what do you say when you see that? Remember the Alamo, right? Why? Because it's a landmark, right? And so we, we know these places because of a landmark. There's something that's there that tells us about that. And so we, in, in our faith, 
The Lord gives us landmarks to kind of recognize what's coming or what's happening. Uh, the children of Israel, as they were navigating into the promised land, one of the things that they did is, as soon as they crossed over the Jordan is they built a monument. The Lord commanded them. He said, I don't want you to forget this moment, so I want you to build something. I want you to build a landmark. I want you, you to build a monument so you don't forget. In Deuteronomy, we see that, that the Lord says several times, he's like, take these laws that I've given you and write them on your arms. Put them on your doorpost, etch it in stone. Get it wherever you can see it. Why? Because you're gonna need this later. Make, make a note. And so I want to talk about a few landmarks that maybe you have, maybe I have. It's kind of practical today. Y'all okay? Y'all okay with that? Um, we're not going to preach real hard, probably. That's not in the plan. That Usually we get away from that. But uh, one of the things is life verses or scriptural themes. How many of y'all have a life verse? Like you've been in the Lord and you have, that's my verse, Jeremiah 29, 11, right? I know. I know that's your verse. I know. I know. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. I know that's your verse, right? And so, so um, hopefully your life verse isn't like Judas went and hung himself or, you know, where Paul says, you know, we're out of our mind for God's sake. Hopefully th those aren't your, your life verses, but, but, or maybe it's a scriptural theme. Maybe it's a, maybe it's a passage in scripture, but there's something that when you heard that message or when you read it, you were like, man, that really speaks to me. Yes. Right. Yes. And you're like, and you go back to it. Why? Because it's a landmark. It, it helps you navigate to a certain place where you need to revisit, a place where you developed history in God. And I'm here to tell you, God wants to create new things like that, but there are some things that you're going to be coming back to. When I think of Hebrews 12, 29, for our God is a consuming fire, that has been a marker verse in my life for forever. Since I first came to the Lord, that's like one of the first verses I memorized. Hebrews 12, uh, 1 and 2. I mean, it's just verses that I have that are reference points. What are they? they they're landmarks to help me navigate my life. Um, I would encourage you when you know those things, because sometimes it speaks to you and you don't know anything about it, right? Like people know Jeremiah 29, 11. Most people, that's their life verse. They don't even know what that verse means. That's why you don't hear me talk about it a lot, because I know what the verse means. And so um, I would encourage you, that can be, but know, know it. Right. Know the verse. Study the verse. Don't just have the verse and this is what the Lord says. Great. Yes, that is what the Lord says, but in what context? In what meaning? Become a student of what the Lord puts in you and study those. Oh, this story, man, that story that I think of is, you know, is, is blind Bartimaeus. I just think about that story. Then get in and study that story. Study the historical, archaeological, all the stuff. Study, study, study. So just know it and, and preach it. Everywhere you go, you say, well, I'm not a preacher. Sure you are. You've shared that story with someone else. If it's a life verse, you've shared it. Sure you've preached it. You might not want to preach it from a platform, but you preach it to your coworkers, you preach it to your kids, you preach it to your spouse. Well, I just keep coming. You've heard me say it a thousand times. Good. I want to hear you say it a thousand times because that's a marker in your life. That's a landmark. And you're going to have things in your life, spiritual landmarks in your life, and everybody's going to know that about you. They said that all the time. What is it? That's a landmark that you developed in your life. Another thing is this, is, a, is life purposed or, or vision statements or mission statements, whatever you want to call it, but some kind of purpose. If I asked you today, I said, what is the purpose of your life? 
what would you say? Well, I, I, uh, uh, put God first, right? You, you come up with some little thing at, at the moment. <laughs> but I, what I want to encourage you to do, I want you, I want you to sit down and craft a mission statement of your life. So I did this years ago. It's like to be a man of God, to my creator, my companion, my cause, and then I added later my children, to live and speak the message with intensity and to impact a generation. That's my life purpose statement. So if anyone ever says, Josh, what's your why? That's what it is. And it's just boom, it's there, it's a marker. I used to have it written down. I don't need it written down anymore. It's like written real deep. It's written down somewhere, but I don't have to dig it up because I quoted enough to myself. And so whenever stuff comes my way, I go, does this line up? No, that doesn't line up. All right. Doesn't fit the mission. I mean, we have people all the time come to the church like, have you ever thought about that? That's not what God's called us to. Sorry, that's somebody else's mission, not our mission. And that's good. You need to have things in your life that are like that. It'll help you know what to say yes to and what to say no to. Um, And let me encourage you in this. We're talking about like writing things down. Have some sort, men, (laughs) women, the CD, have a journal. Oh, yes, I love the journal. I I know, guys, it's not a big thing. Listen, whatever. Have a notepad. (laughs) There you go. Have a notepad. If you need to go buy an awesome leather cover for that, then go ahead and do that so you feel a little bit more masculine. I have this little moleskin that I've had for a couple of years. And when it's full, I'll get a new one. And so when the Lord's, so every time when I get with with the word of the Lord, in the morning, I always have this. I don't write something down every day, but I always have something to write something down. So I always have my phone. I don't take my phone to that place because if I take my phone, I'm, then I'm on Instagram. And I'm like, oh, I'm scrolling. I'm supposed to be praying or God's supposed to be speaking to me. So have something. So in here, I have sermon series. I have what God's speaking to me personally. I have dreams that the Lord's put in my heart. It's all written down. Why? Because I need landmarks to go back and see, hey, is, 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 what is the Lord saying? So write stuff down. Listen, I have in my attic, when I went to Christ for the Nations, I took a lot of notes. And I have a notebook that's got all my notes in it from Steve and I. And from time to time, not very often, from time to time, I remember something that God spoke to me almost 30 years ago, and I know where to find it. I can go up in my attic, I can open this chest, this footlocker that I have up there, and I can go in and I can find those notes. And they'll be there forever. And when I die, my children can have those notes. And maybe that'll be a landmark. And my my children's children, they'll be like, what is this stuff? It's called paper. This is what they used to, it'll be something strange like that. The third is standards. Standards are a landmark. You, what are your standards? Do you just watch anything on TV? That's a bad idea. It's entertaining. (laughs) I know. What are your standards? What, What separates you apart from everyone else? So just personally, let's say now we don't drink. We don't, touch, we, don't, we don't touch alcohol. It doesn't touch our lips. It's a standard we have. If you, touch, if you drink alcohol, that's okay. But, but we don't drink. So guess what? When someone offers us drinking or go to a thing where there's drinking, we normally say no. Why? Because it's sinful? No, because it's a standard that we said that this is something we don't do. This is a landmark. And so when people are going to have booze parties <laughs> and they're, maybe they're not even drunk, but they're drinking, guess what they do? They do. They don't invite us. <laughs> That's what they don't do. Because they know we're not going to drink. So 
if you have alcoholism or something like that in your family, and you stay, would just let that be a standard in your life and, and, and don't budge. The, the point of having a standard, don't get hung up on the drink. Well, I drink it. You think? I don't think anything. I, th- I think that you need to have standards in your life. What is your standard? Your, your first standard is to the Lord. You better, you better have some standards in your life. There better be something in your life that's set apart. And if you don't have those things, then I would encourage you to get before the Lord and ask him, say, Lord, how am I different than the world around me? And you establish those standards and you don't deviate from them. Some, listen, some of you need to have a standard and people will think you're legalistic about it. You go ahead and let them think you're legalistic about it, but you have a standard in your life and you need to be solid about it and it'll develop your discipline muscle. Some of you just need to have a discipline muscle. Maybe it's the standard is I get up at six o'clock in the morning every single morning and I never change from that. That's a standard. So you're always up. It doesn't really matter so much what it is as long as it's not sinful activity. It's just important that you have some disciplines in your life, standards that identify you, that you say, this is what I say yes to, this is what I say no to, and there's this, I, there, here's the line. Yeah. Yes. So have standards. Good. Things that are rooted in conviction. Again, it might not be a sin thing. Y'all okay? Now listen, there's a difference between standards and, 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 and some things, some things are, are sin and aren't sin. They're, they just are. There's no like, there's not things that are like, it's sin for you, not sin for me. That, that's not a reality, right? But there are preferences. Are you tracking? And so, and, and when people don't have your preferences, don't be mean to them. Because that's the problem. Because sometimes it's a standard rooted in biblical conviction. And sometimes it's just like, hey, that's just something that we don't do. Okay? So don't be bullheaded and ugly with people that don't have the same preferences that you have. And maybe that preference is a standard for you. But it doesn't mean it's going to be someone else's standard. Okay? Don't be legalist. Y'all okay? All right. So, but it is important to have standards. What are your standards? And I, and I think that's important for you. What do we not watch? What do we not allow on our television? Where do we draw the line? Listen, where do you draw the line with all the garbage that's coming out for your kids to watch? Where do you draw the line? I'm not going to tell you where the line is. Where do you draw the line? If you're just letting them watch everything, that's everything that the world is putting out. Just remember, just remember who's entertaining you. It's not the Lord. Okay. Number four, patterns. Just sequences, things that you see in your life. So Leslie has this thing with the number 16. I don't know why, but it's like, it's been a guidepost for us. It's been, she sees the number 16 and she lights up. For me, I'm like, it's the number 16. But for us and our family, it's an indicator. So when we bought our house, it was 1016. It just shows up everywhere. There it is again, she says. And I'm like, oh yeah, there it is. Right? So just patterns, sequences, colors, names, things that ring a bell. When you see it, does something light up in you? What is it? That's just another landmark to say, hey, this is kind of helping guide me. Number five is pivotal moments. Y'all okay? Pivotal moments. Encounters with the Lord. So this, for me, this is a big thing. God speaks to me. It changes everything. If, when I know I hear the Lord. 
So, for instance, we have a thing here, Overflow Church, the house of the open womb. I was standing right back over there where Mike is at the sound booth. The sound booth wasn't there. I was standing there, and he, the Lord spoke to me and said, Overflow Church will be the house of the open womb. It changed everything. I was laying right here on the front row in an empty room, having a, a, a series of prayer meetings, and the Lord spoke to me, and he, and he said, don't let the fire go out. We were having prayer meetings, and there was nobody here, and there was no fire. There was a little, little bitty one inside me, a fire of frustration that nobody showed up to pray. And I was like, Lord, I don't want to do this, but we're not going to let the fire go out, so that's why we pray every Saturday night. It's just it was a pivotal moment. And you need to have those in your life personally. For now on, we do this. Why? Because God spoke to me. There was a moment that changed everything. What is that moment? Are you having these moments? I'm just, I'm basically what I'm teaching you today is how to develop history with God. <laughs> um, one of the awesome things about pivotal moments, my pastor in El Paso used to, used to say this. He would say, when you don't know what God is, how God is leading you, go back to the last thing that God told you. What is that? That's a pivotal moment. What was the last thing that God spoke to you? Don't do anything else until he tells you to do something else. If God has given you an assignment, you do that until he, not it, well, just my heart's not in it anymore. Well, get your heart there. Well, it was like 40 years ago. Get your heart there. Maybe God, maybe God called you to do that for the rest of your life. Are you okay with that? I'm okay with that. Listen, if God told me, he said, I want you to take your family, I want you to move into the woods, and I want you to minister to one family a year, I would say, yes, Lord. That's not what I want to do, but if that's what he said, I'd figure out a way to be fired up about it. And sometimes that sounds really, pleased, really appealing, and other times I'm like, no, nah, I need to get out of the woods. <laughs> I love the woods, though. Number six, mistakes and successes. Again, your history. Learn to celebrate wins and learn from losses. Learn to celebrate wins and learn from losses. See, when, when losses are redeemed, losses are redeemed when we learn from them. And some of you are like, man, I just lost so much. I, did you learn from it? Did it make you bitter or better? My dad, who's here today, says the difference between bitter and better is I. You get to decide what happens inside of you. You get to decide. You, through the leadership of the shepherd of your inner man, the Holy Spirit, you get to decide. Whether you come out on the other side of this difficult season, you get to decide if you're bitter or better. You get to decide that. I don't get to decide it for you. Let me suggest that you, God doesn't get to decide. He gave you the Holy Spirit so you can be better because of it. So no matter what's happening, and I told Leslie this yesterday, we were just talking about going through seasons. Sometimes, listen, sometimes the hard seasons are really, really long and the good seasons are really short. Sometimes that's the way it is. So what we've got to learn to do is we've got to really be invested in whatever season we're in. So when it's good, I'm rejoicing. Listen, if I'm having a good season, I want to rejoice in an 11. Really, I want to rejoice in the bad seasons in that 11 also. But what I want to do is I want to be aware of how good the season that I'm in is because this season is going to change. But growth, growth's always on the table. I can grow from anything. I can grow from a mountain. I can grow in a valley. People say, well, you only grow in the desert. That's not true. 
I get, listen, I grow all the time. You know why? Because I'm not, the, 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 the inner man of me is not rooted in the season. It's rooted in the river. And I, I, I grow in every season. It doesn't matter if it's dry. If it doesn't matter if it's summer. It doesn't matter if it's winter. It doesn't matter if all hell's breaking loose around me. It doesn't matter who the president is. It doesn't matter how frustrated my spouse is or how my kids are living. It doesn't matter. I'm growing because I'm connected to the river. This is what David talks about. Psalm chapter 1. Listen, we are fruitful in every single season. Some seasons, it's more difficult to bear fruit, but we're still fruitful. We grow through all the seasons. But learn this, beloved. Learn this. Rejoice and celebrate and embrace and lean into the good seasons. And in the bad seasons, do the same thing. And just recognize that your season, listen, your season is not your source of encouragement. Because you're going you're gonna to go through hard seasons. I want to suggest this to you. I told this to a student. I'm just getting off track here. It's okay. I told one of my students, I don't even know why. I was teaching graphic design. I don't know why I told him this. I said, you haven't gone through the hardest season you've ever been through. This is just one of those landmarks that I've found in my life. And I want to encourage you today. <laughs> Warn you, I guess, is really, which is, can be a source of encouragement. The hardest thing that has ever happened to you probably hasn't happened yet. You will probably face harder things than you've ever faced. And I don't know what you've gone through. But our our tendency is to think, once I get through this, nothing else bad is going to happen. That's not true. What you don't want to do is you don't want to get to this guarded approach where you're like skeptical through life. You just got to realize that your strength doesn't come through from your season. It comes from the Lord. And so I told this student that this has been, gosh, probably eight or nine years ago. And she reached out to me on Facebook probably about six months ago. And she said, I just wanted to tell you that I remembered you saying that in class. And she said, it was, I was able to go through this season. I kept remembering what you said. You said that the hardest thing hasn't ever happened. She said, she said, I don't know if this is the hardest thing, but I just went through hell. And I just want you to know that the whole time I was, I, I, I remembered that. I remember that before it. And it gave me, I found some strength and some encouragement in knowing that, that, hey, it really, it doesn't matter what I'm going through as far as the strength of my inner man. And nothing separates me from the love of God. Nothing separates me from God's love or his power or his strength or his encouragement. I can always tap into that because I'm, I'm rooted by the river. But I, but I do want to encourage you, lean in and rejoice high every victory. Rejoice high. And rejoice through the hard seasons too, but it, it, rejoicing looks a little different, right? right? And so just, just keep that in mind, okay? Because sometimes we think we're going to get through it and it's going to be a long season of plenty. And sometimes it's just not. Sometimes we get encouraged and we're like, oh, it's so good. I'll never have to deal with anything difficult again. <laughs> I'm the only one that is that naive that every time that I get through a difficult season, I'm like, oh, it's going to be bliss forever. Because I'm, I'm like high on the optimism scale. Like I'm like, man, it's, it's all going to be awesome. Right? And it is because I'm learning. And so the Lord redeems the losses and he redeems the, the strength of, of the hard times because he, I'm growing. No matter what, I'm growing. Y'all okay? Oh, just let that set in.
So losses are redeemed when we learn from them. Number seven is personal history. Uh, personal history. So again, Joshua, we talked about that. Um, experiences, good or bad, can be an investment. Remember that. Let me say one more thing about that. Bad experiences can define or refine you. It's your choice. I refuse to be defined by the difficulties in life. They're not going to define me. I'm not going to spend the rest of my life being bitter because something negative happened in my life. I know a lot of people that are like that. I know people, listen, I know people, I know people that have lived 50 years alone because they had a bad experience 50 years ago. Miserable, alone, bitter. All right, Matthew 7. Therefore, everyone, 724, Matthew 724. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came, rain came. The stream rose, the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because its foundation was on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man. See, listen, you can get full of the word, full of the word, full of the word, full of the word. But if you don't put it into practice, you're like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. However, the wise man put those words into practice, and he endured the storm. So one of the great guides and one of the great things that the Lord teaches us, not just through these things that we talked about, these practical things, but the Lord gives us what we call wisdom. Everybody say wisdom. Wisdom. I want to give you some thoughts on wisdom. <laughs> some wisdom on wisdom. That's probably not the right word for it, but some thoughts on wisdom. First of all is this. Wisdom is not equal to knowledge. And some people think that. I'll go to school and then I'll be wise. No, you won't. You'll just have education. You should get an education. Education is good for you. But that doesn't make you wise. You can learn, 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 learn. But if you don't put those things into practice, that doesn't make you wise. Actually, I would call you foolish with having more knowledge and not applying that knowledge. That's what makes you foolish. The other side, you're just ignorant. You just don't know. But once you know when you don't put it into practice, that's what fools do. And this is what the scripture says. Colossians 1.9. For this reason, since the day we've heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord. Yeah. He's saying, I want you to have wisdom. I want you to have understanding. Why? So that you can live a life worthy of the Lord. How many of y'all want to live a life worthy of the Lord? Come on, I do. And he says this, and play, please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. So he, he uses these three words here, right? He uses the word knowledge, which is information. It's good. It's good for you. To, you need the information. 
Then he says, understanding. What is understanding? Understanding is comprehension of the information. Okay, I know how it works. And the other thing is wisdom. Wisdom has to do with the execution of the information. That's what wisdom is. So it's like this. You, you, you can drive a car. How many of y'all drive a car? How many of you have a driver's license? Okay, good, good. So you, could, you can go to a driver education class or watch one online. You can learn all about driving. You could know all the rules and the laws and how blinkers work and how the gas pedal works. You can, you can, you can know how the vehicle works. You can have all of that. It's good. You should know that. Please know that before you get behind the wheel. Knowledge. Understanding is you understand how it functions. I understand that if I push on the gas, it goes forward. If I touch on the brake, it stops. If I turn the wheel this way, I go this way. If I turn the wheel this way, I go that You can have an understanding. This is the way. I know the information. Now I understand how it works. However, wisdom comes from driving the car. So you can know how the car works. You can know how it functions. You can know all the laws and all the details, and you can read the, the owner's manual. But if you don't get behind the wheel and drive it, you don't have wisdom about driving. That's why you don't want someone that just goes to all that stuff driving around. That's why when, when my kids get their driver's license, you're going to kind of stay away from the Brown neighborhood for a little while. Why? Because you don't want them to just know how to drive. You want them to have some experience. And this is why when you go to a driver's school, you got to have all these hours of driving. Because it's not just enough to have information. It's not just enough to have the knowledge. It's not just enough to have the understanding. You got to have the wisdom. You gotta practice it. You gotta drive it. So we're not considered wise with the knowledge we have, but by the choices we make. And some of you, you know, I I tell you what, my least favorite thing to hear is when someone says, I know. Because I'm like, well, if you know, then why am I telling you? Why do I have to tell you if you already know? Well, because they just know. And they may even understand, but they didn't exercise wisdom. So I'm coming in and saying, hey, why didn't this happen? Or why doesn't it work this way? Well, they have knowledge. It's not, they're not stupid. They just didn't execute. Right? So number two, wisdom is costly. Number one, wisdom is not the same as knowledge. Number two, wisdom is costly. Everybody say wisdom is costly. costly. See, this is the deal. Knowledge is free. Wisdom will cost you. Knowledge is free. Wisdom will cost you. You don't get wisdom for free. It takes time. It takes investment. This is, why, this is why you don't go to a person that doesn't have children. You don't go read their book on raising children. There, I, I was in a workshop, and this guy was talking about raising kids, and he didn't have any kids. I was like, I mean, you can know all the data. I would way rather hear from someone that, has raised kids, right? And we're not going to do a marriage conference from a single guy. <laughs> and he might know the Bible really good, and he might have read all of Gary Smalley's books or somebody. But I don't care what he has to say. <laughs> I'll read the same books he read. Because wisdom costs you something. Proverbs 4, 7, 7 says, getting wisdom is the wisest thing you can do. <laughs> Go after it. But sometimes we want shortcuts. Yeah. Yeah. 
We want to Google something. That's just knowledge. Listen, watching a YouTube video doesn't give you wisdom, doesn't make you wise. You just know something. You know how to do it, but until you do it, I mean, I could watch fishing knots, them tie fishing knots all day long on YouTube and then go try to tie one. And I'm like, so so try to tie the knot. (laughs) Am I the, y'all know what I'm talking about? I'm trying to change the oil. I can't change it. I'll just go go get somebody that has the wisdom to change my oil. Until I've changed it a few times and then I might have the wisdom, but that's not wisdom I'm interested in, so... And some would say, so we have this gift of the Spirit called the gift of wisdom. And some people think, oh, I got the gift of wisdom. That makes me wise. No, it doesn't. It means that you know what the wise thing to do is. But until you exercise that wisdom, you're still foolish. And you're more foolish if you know the right thing to do and you don't do it. That makes you a fool. And so what you want to do is you want to be wise. You got to exercise. So if someone gives, ever gives you a, a, a word of wisdom then you need to follow through with that word. Right? The point of you getting the word is so you can do the steps, the action steps of the wisdom. It's not so you go, oh, I know something. Who cares? Who cares what you know? You're not doing anything. So I've ran ran across so many nerds in my life that, that are like living in their parents' basement. Right? Figuratively. It's like, you've done nothing. Like, don't, I know you went to, that's why we're so annoyed, right? When you get like over 30, you'll get this. When people like go to school and they know all this stuff and you're just like, I don't even care. Like what you, you mean, you're telling me all this stuff is just, because they're just, it's just talk until they've actually done something with what they have. Right? I mean, do you want to go to a heart surgeon that just graduated? That's never done heart surgery? No, no, you don't. You want a guy that's been sitting under someone, being at the operating table, watching it, letting, holding tools for a little while, maybe doing some sewing up and learning slowly. <laughs> I mean, if I'm getting heart surgery, I'm asking the guy, how many heart surgeries have you done? And how many of those were successful? <laughs> I've done like 50. How many of those people died? That's what I want to know. Someone gave me the word of wisdom. I have wisdom. Have you lived out that word? Wisdom is greater than fear. Fear, number three. Wisdom is greater than fear. See, fear controls and paralyzes you. If you are going, I just want to be wise, I'm not going to do anything. That's not wisdom, that's fear. Fear, listen, here we go. Fear paralyzes you. Wisdom moves forward slowly. It's still moving forward, but it's slowly. Okay. I'm all in, but that doesn't mean that I'm like rushing in. I'm going in, moving slowly. Um, we we, we kind of get into this thing where we, where we want independence, right? But that, that's really not what this adventure is about. The adventure is not about your great independence. It's more about your dependability. Um, Proverbs 9.10. I'm trying to get through here. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the world and believers will come to you and tell you this. They'll say, well, I, 
I'm, I'm not afraid. I'm just, I want to make the wise decision. Have you ever heard that? Yes. The wisest decision that you can ever make is doing what God said. Yes. It's always the wisest thing. Yeah. So if you're not doing what God called you to do, and you're calling it wisdom because you're waiting, that's fear. Yes. Not the fear of the Lord, because if you had the fear of the Lord, you would be operating in wisdom. If you had the fear of the Lord, you would be moving forward into what God said. Yes. And some people think, oh man, I just, I'm, I'm, I'm wise. Have you ever met anyone like that? They're like, I'm being wise. And really what they're being is fearful. Fear the Lord. Obey the Lord. Yeah. That's wisdom. Yeah. Wisdom is always doing what God says. Yes. That's always wise. Even if it doesn't make sense. Even if it doesn't make sense. Because when we moved out here to plant this church, it did not make sense. The foolish thing would have been for us to say, ah, let's just not do that. That's not safe. And a lot of people would call that wisdom. That wouldn't have been wisdom. That would have been foolishness. Because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And I want to always do what God says. It's when God speaks to you, you do that. Number four, wisdom visualizes before it verbalizes. Even a fool is thought wise if they keep silent. Yeah. <laughs> you ever met like a really quiet person? I was sitting in a, in, a, in a room one time. I don't really remember the context. And someone's like, they wanted to say something profound to this guy that didn't talk much. And they were like, you're just so wise. They thought that they perceived them as wise because they never said anything. That, now, that doesn't necessarily make them wise, but this is what it says even fools are thought to be wise when they keep silent. With their mouth shut, they seem intelligent. <laughs> hey! <laughs> when we're just blabbering all the time, people are like, oh man, get away from that guy, right? But if you're quiet and you're calculated, yeah, the people perceive you as wise. And James tells us this, slow to speak, quick to hear. So wisdom asks before it answers. One of the wisest people I know is a guy named Tony Dennis, and he's, he's a, a, one of my mentors. And when I ask Tony questions, I'm like, I'm thinking I'm good. And every time it's exactly the same. It, it drives me crazy. Because I'm like, man, what do you think I should do? And he sits there for a minute. And he goes, what do you think you should do? And I'm like, that's not the wisdom I'm looking for. I mean, I want an answer. And it's really the best thing that he could tell me because normally he knows that I know what I'm supposed to do. And so when he says that, he doesn't have a lot of words about it. And I'm just like, I always leave. I'm like, I'm so encouraged. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? Like, what do you think you should do? I don't know. So, wisdom asks before it answers. And remember Jesus always asking questions. He always asks questions. People are like, people are like, Jesus, what do you think? He's like, you tell me. If this happens, what, what happens? Yeah. Tell me. Go ahead and just tell me. All right. Number five, wisdom lives in response. We're finishing up. Wisdom lives in response. So wisdom teaches you what to say yes to and what to say no to. James 3.13, who is wise and understanding among you? 
Let him show it by his good life. It doesn't say by the things that he says, by his good life, by deeds done and the humility that comes from wisdom. See, knowledge puffs. Wisdom doesn't puff. Wisdom actually makes us humble. This is what it says. By deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom, wisdom makes us humble. The fear of the Lord. So I say this, have people in your life that can tell you no. Are there people in your life that can tell you no? Can your spouse tell you no? If your spouse can't, listen, if you're married to someone, Leslie and I have a rule. It's got to be, it's, if there's one no, we're not doing it. It's a rule. There's one no, we're not doing it. We can be on the fence like, oh yeah, I don't care. And one person has a yes, we're doing it. But if there's two no's, if there's one no, we don't do it. And Leslie can tell me no. It's not always easy for her to do that. It's not always easy for me to hear it. But her no will win because she's able to tell me no. There's other people in my life that can tell me no. Let me, let me suggest this to you. If your spouse can't tell you no, then your marriage is out of order. I'm not saying your husband. I'm saying either one. If either one of them, you're on this thing together. God put you together. If your spouse can't tell you no, then your marriage is out of order. It's out, out of order. So get it in order. And then have other people outside of your marriage that can tell you no. There's some people in my life that can tell me no. I'm like, uh, and sometimes when I tell them things and it's a big decision, I'm like, please don't say no, please don't say no. <laughs> but, but I have them there because it's a safeguard. It's wisdom to have people in your life. It helps you respond to the things that you, listen, because if you don't say no to some things, you'll say yes to everything. And you've got to learn what to say no to and yes to, and you've got to respond. Y'all okay? I know today's very, very teachy. Stand with me. I'm going to read this verse over you. I'm past my time, way past my time, like always. All right, so James 1, here it is. How do I get wisdom? <laughs> We've talked a little bit about it, but James 1 says this. If any of you lacks wisdom, and if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. You should ask God, who gives generously. I mean, he's got like all the wisdom. He's got all of it. He's got all the wisdom. So when you lack wisdom, you just go to him and you say, Lord, I don't have wisdom. What is it? That's humility. Lord, I don't know. He gives generously to all without finding fault. He doesn't look at you and go, oh, you should know. No, he's... It's not the kind of God that we serve. And it will be given to you. But whenever you ask, you must just believe. That's our theme of the year, right? Believe. You must believe that God will give you wisdom and not doubt. Because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. He's unstable 
He's double-minded in all of his ways, James goes on to teach us. 